All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Daddy Long, that game. Shout out to Red Light Crew. Hey, you're one of 12 listeners of the Real Life Podcast. Yeah, you know what? The- to find that uh, uh, better, um, I think the key there is. I just lost my trend of thought. Welcome to the Nation Real Life Podcast. Tyler Rumchuk alongside me, Wanye, Jay. We got an exciting one. We got two former Oilers this in is here. Unbelievable. In the second half oh. of the podcast, we're going to be chatting with Walking Engage. But first, we have a gentleman. 20 games in the NHL. 362 in the American Hockey League. That's a hell of a pro career. couple years in Europe as well. He was a part of easily the best world junior team Canada has ever assembled. Sean Bell, former Oiler. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for making your way on down. Yeah, it was a journey to get here. I couldn't believe Little Brick was a real place, you were saying. <laughs> no idea. I had no idea this was here. Yeah, it's Little Brick is, by definition, a destination. Everyone driving by doesn't like, well, I'm just in a bunch of houses. I'm in the right place. And, well, Little Brick is a house, so... We are in hidden in plain sight. Something we should probably precondition guests about is our intro. You probably heard that and are like, what the fuck was that that I just listened to? <laughs> that 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 pile of it's random, high quality. Yeah, it's high quality. There's, there's stories behind it. It's the top podcast at Little Brick intro. Of all the podcasts here, that's number yeah. one. It's the, oh, by, by Country Mile. Yeah. But uh, it's Bob Nicholson. It. When he's on, he's doing a radio hit with Stoffer on that, right? No, Gregor. Gregor. With Gregor. Yeah. And then in the background, his phone's ringing. And since Nicholson's an old man, it says who's calling. And in the background, it goes, Daryl Katz, Daryl Katz. And it was right <laughs> when Gregor was pressing him on what the culture of the Oilers was. Oh, and what does really... it mean to be an Oiler? And he bumbled and fumbled. And then Daryl Cates phoned him. And he well, really bumbled. <laughs> it's the best because I saw Stoffer at the outlet mall probably <laughs> about a month ago. I was with my uh, girlfriend at the time, fiance now. Congrats. And thank you very much. And Stoff was talking. I've known Stoff for a very long time. And all of a sudden his phone starts ringing and he just pulls open his phone. He shows it to me. He's like, I better answer that. Hey, 
I'm like, yeah, it's Keith Gretzky. I get it, Bob. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> You're Gary Bettman. Yeah. I get it. And that then is... he proceeded not to answer it. So that's oh, the best part about that. Double flex. That's the most stoffer story I've ever heard. That's great. Um, so you're an Edmonton guy through and through. Like you started playing your minor hockey here. You're back here coaching. You were with the Crusaders. You were with Nate. Now you're with the OHA thing. Um, you're just a 100% Edmontonian. Yeah, born and raised. Um, some days I wonder why I still yeah. live here, especially after this summer. But you it was know, a great I, hour. Yeah, it was a great hour. Oh, beautiful. It was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I had to turn my heat on yesterday, so oh I wasn't God. real happy about that. But no, um, born and raised in Edmonton. I love it here. Um, you know, the people that you meet are fantastic. I, you know, everywhere I've gone, somebody's always brought up, you know, just hockey and they're just so passionate about, uh, you know, that sport in general. And I just, I honestly just really love it here. We can, we'll get to your career kind of arc in a minute, but I'm looking at like all the European places that you've played. I think going away to a, where you have actual culture shock makes you appreciate home more. Did you find that as well? Oh, a hundred percent. Um, you know, it's funny you say that because even when I went over there, I, I really enjoyed the places that I played. Um, obviously, I liked Germany more than, you know, some of the other places that I was at. But, you know, it was such a different experience. And then when you got home, you're just like, wow, this is actually a really nice place. And, you know, you appreciate it way more. Especially in a career where you're forced to move, right? Like pro athletes, I talk about it a lot. Like it's the, probably one of the few jobs you have where you get a phone call. It's like, hey, remember your life and how you're doing so well? Yeah. 180 degree turn. You're on your way out. Like that doesn't happen to anybody else. Yeah. No, it's different. When you get dealt that card a lot in life, like you probably moved around a lot from the age of what to what, when did you actually get to come home and settle? Um, from the time I was 15, cause that was my first games in WHL, yeah. um, until basically when I was 30. So for a, for a while, that's was, unbelievable. Uh, yeah. And so now you've got roots. Now I've got roots. And I got a house. I've got a house. Well, I've had the house for 12 years. Oh, nice. Um, so I bought it early. Smart. Um, Actually, that was advice from Sean Brown. Yeah. Um, so he gave me that advice. And he's just like, don't be that athlete that, you know, buys 15 cars and tries to spend it on vacations. Make sure you buy a house first and then kind of go from there. And that's what I did. And it's uh, it's actually served me very well. So did you leave it empty every season when you left? Or did you have buddies stay there and be like, I'm going to kill you if you put a nail in the wall? <laughs> yeah, I had some people living in there. Um, I rented it out a few times to, uh, I think, like people from Bird Construction. Oh, yeah. Um, so they're here doing some projects. Um, a couple times it was to a friend and then that's when you start to see the buddies come rolling in yeah. sending pictures or shaking your plants and, <laughs> and like you guys might want to leave right now yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be home in like six hours yeah. of one connecting flight there's well, going to be trouble how, how was that house in its first few years in the off season was that just like where was that HQ for you and your buddies oh 100% there were so many times where guys would just show up randomly and they're you know drunk and they're trying to like put barbecue sauce in the walls because you know like 20 year olds are dumb oh dumb as they get yeah and just weird weird stuff and you're like why are you doing this to my house and i'm going to get you back when you get your house yeah (laughs) in 10 years yeah (laughs) it was always like we had buddies in the nhl growing up when they would come home it was so fun right it was like everybody spread it like went out to wherever and then they would all reassemble and it was like the fun of the summer of having that countdown and then it's like okay one more week till i have to start working out again i can't 100%. be degenerate with you guys yeah and we was, all felt like we had to clean our lives up too yeah. <laughs> it was hq right before you'd go to iron horse every single friday saturday oh nice <laughs> we had bucky last week name dropping bars too all over the place oh and your ram check had no idea anything was he's laying down like oh, oh yeah you know where, where was as like, yeah yeah, yeah. i've heard of as at least club yeah. malibu yeah club malibu Oh, oh yeah, he was dropping yep. those down. Yeah, he told the story. Club Malibu Grand Central Station, right? The one that became the ranch? No, there was no Malibu ever there. What, there was no. What was there before as... the ranch? 
The big country. Uh, Barry Tees. Barry Tees. Barry Tees. He was talking about Club Malibu University. Which was the one across from Steel Wheels. Yeah, the Armory. One, yeah. Remember? Oh, yeah, the Armory. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now it's like yeah. a place for troubled youth. And oh, like, for sure. It, it used to be a place for troubled youth, too. They sold yeah. booze, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah go there. I also well, I, I want to shout out because we're actually going to probably have a proper interview today because Chalmers, we can actually talk this week. Nice. Yeah, Chalmers yeah, isn't around. It, it's a very noticeable uh, omission this week. It's going to be very nice. So, Chalmers. Uh, thank you for not being here, so we can actually do a proper interview with yeah. a, you know, with a, with a valued guest and not ruin it. Our missing buddy lectured Ladislav Schmid on what it meant to be an oiler. Yeah, he'd played in a tournament in the Czech Republic and yeah. asked Schmid if he'd played in it at that age, and Schmid's like, "No, I didn't yeah. make it." And goes like, "Yeah, it's for pretty elite twelve year olds. Like, you probably didn't make the grade." We're like, <laughs> what are you doing, man? So you got the easy week this week, the week off. Yeah, yeah. So where did you play minor hockey in Edmonton? Uh, I started off beginning. with Millwoods. Yeah. Um, and then around novice. Kiwi. Yep, a novice. Yeah, right in the game uh, early. Adam, and then at Pee I left and went to KC. Um, not for any particular reason. I just ended up going to KC. Um, and then that's where I played Peewee, Bantams, and then off to juniors. And were you like a very heralded Adam? And were like, you should see Sean Bell. He scored 14 goals the other night. Well, not so much in Adam. Uh, I started to come, kind of come into my own in Peewee. Um, but I also had a couple other guys that I played with. Like, we had five guys that were really good. Um, myself, uh, Dan Waschuk, Kyle Teague, uh, Andrew Levitt and Danny Smith. And like those guys were like really good. Like Washtuck was bigger than me. And I think I might've been like, I don't know, five foot eight, five foot nine oh. at Peewee and Washtuck might've been six feet. Like it was, he was a massive human being and you know, we had some really good teams. When you're, when you're coming up like that and you're playing in a city like Edmonton where like, I think you can fly under the radar in some markets. You're like I'm a pretty good athlete, but I live in, you know, wherever you might pick. Like I live in, yeah. in Orange County. And so it's like cute that I play hockey, but it's like confusing to my neighbors. But then if you're in Edmonton and you're you, like when did the hype start around you and you were growing? Like when all of a sudden is it like going to the rink and there's parents in the crowd that might be a little bit crazy and like that kind of situation? Well, the, the crazy parents were there right from the start. So novice. Uh, yeah. Because you're always novice. on a rep yeah. team, right? You're always on a rep team. Yeah. And, you know, the crazies are always there and they're always trying to get uh, their kid to do something a little bit better. So those guys are always there. Um, but for me, where I started to kind of recognize the notoriety was kind of in Bantam, my first year Bantam. And um, actually, no, that's Still a with lie. KC at this yep. point? Yeah. Yep. That was a lie, though. Um, it was when we went to P, uh, the Quebec tournament. You went to the Quebec oh, tournament. Yeah. Oh, so cool. we got to be Signing the Signing autographs Oilers. and stuff? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to be the Edmonton Oilers. Did you have um, a card? We didn't have cards. Okay. No. So what were you uh, signing programs? We were signing programs. Um, some of the guys were signing females. Um <laughs> Yeah, we'll leave it there. Yeah, um, then, big time. Yeah, oh, some yeah. pants and stuff like that. So oh, nice. it was a very interesting time, and that's kind of when you started to recognize, like, okay, there's something going on here. And then once that first year Bantam hit, and then you started seeing all the scouts in the stands, and um, you know they were trying to talk to your parents and this and that, and guys were coming up to you and, and talking to you and just see how you're doing. You're like, okay, well, I think maybe there's a little bit of notoriety around. I feel like that peewee tournament is where like each year a generate or a year of like global hockey elite kids become men. They go to <laughs> they go to Quebec. Like last last Schmid was on the show and he was talking about. It. He's like, I went to that tournament in Quebec. That was crazy. Like yeah. a lot of people yeah. who go there yeah. when you're a little kid, like it opens your eyes. It, it gets <laughs> it referenced a lot. It yeah. gets re and, and I and know, the like, brick tournament too. Did yes, you play in that? I played in the brick tournament yeah. as well. Oh yeah. wow. Jeez, you're living my dream. No, they're, they're, you're not signing <laughs> boobs at the brick tournament. No, you're, no, like, you're not there signing yet. a coloring yeah. book. Yeah. yeah. I oh, I remember growing up like anyone who went to the Quebec tournament. I'm just like, oh my god, like this yeah. is like celebrity status. There was a guy in our school that did. I was like, this kid's the coolest kid, and he played at outdoor rink. And I'm like, oh my god, like 
it's like like as as a youth like and even like still as adults reflecting like that tournament is so actually crazy in terms of the talent that goes through. For a lot of kids, it's first yeah. time in a plane. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You're bringing your sticks in the airport. You're like, I am Sidney Crosby or whoever <laughs> yeah. it is of that generation, right? Yeah, we lost to uh, Rick Nash's team. Um, 12-year-old Rick Nash. Yeah, Toronto Marlboros. Um, it was, I still remember that because I got a penalty with like, I don't know, two and a half minutes left. And I came out of the box and I got a breakaway. And I missed. And then they went back down and scored. Game over. Rick that was Nash? the semifinals. I don't know if it was Rick Nash ah, or all, but Rick Nash. Yeah. Was there anyone else like between the Brick and the Pee Wee tournament that you like played against and you remember like, okay, yeah, you played against Rick Nash. Was there anyone else? Um, from the Brick tournament, there was Dustin Bufflin. Oh. He was there. Uh, Faneuf was on Little my team. Little Big Buff. Little Big Buff. Yeah. Was he just crushing dudes then? Oh, yeah. He was crushing guys. And he was a forward then too, He was right? a forward at that time. Uh, Nigel Dawes was there oh, yeah. and yeah. he was like probably the phenom. He's of lighting all up the KHL yeah, still. Exactly. I can imagine um, that age group and like basically I'm imagining like you present day sitting yep. next to like a normal 12 year old who looks over like <laughs> I'm going to get fucked up today. Like this, this is not going to go well yeah. for me. Some kids just develop, right? Yeah. And, they, and they have a mustache and they're like eight. Yeah. For whatever reason, I feel like my age group had, was just very big. Yeah. Like Bufflin was massive human being. Faneuf was massive. Um, Brent Seabrook was massive. He played for the Vancouver Vipers. So he was in that tournament. Like Dawes was the same size he is now. So, yeah. like, it's uh, it, it was just a massive age group for whatever odd reason. It's got to be amazing to sit. Now, you're drafted 30th overall, correct? Yep. So, to imagine as a pyramid, all the little kids, when you started out when you were in novice, all around the world in markets that are like, I am going to play in the NHL. And you're, like, the top 30 of the kids your age globally. Do you ever sit back and reflect and just be like, all oh, those little kids at the rink can kiss my ass because when time <laughs> turns out, I was better than all of you. Like what you've done with your career is such a 0.0001%. Do you ever sit back and reflect on it? Uh, from time to time. Yeah. I, you know, it's uh, it was a great accomplishment and it was it was an honor to be drafted at, at that high of a position and, you know, just to even play professional hockey, um, you know, because a lot of guys have careers that are one, two, three years and, you're 15 done. and I was you know pushing 10 12 years so it was uh and the only reason I really stopped was because I got injured yeah I mean you know I sit back and I say okay well I could probably still play I feel it like I can at mm -hmm. least and um I look at guys that I've been I grew up with and they're still playing over there um you know if you get to Europe and you get in good spots like you can have a 10 15 year career just in Europe alone and mm -hmm. And free Audis um, and, and cool apartment <laughs> exactly. buildings and tax-free everything. Exactly. You're in the European Union. You're flying around everywhere yep. on the weekends. I think it's a much better life than people actually like give it credit for. 100%. But you got to find the right spot. And I got lucky. I ended up in uh, Mannheim, yep. which is probably one of the top places in Germany to play hockey. And they treat you like royalty. The Tigers? Uh, oh, Ad it? Adler Mannheim. So it's Adler Eagles or Mannheim oh, Eagles. Eagles. Yeah. Um, How many? What's the capacity of the arena? What are you guys drawing? I think in that one there was sixteen thousand. Wow! So they're one of the top spots. Cologne was eighteen. I think they're the one of the biggest arenas in uh, in Europe. And drawn like pretty. And, they, pretty and they're full? drawn. Yeah, yeah, when we played uh, Cologne, it would always be eighteen thousand. Wow! And they're always singing and dancing. So like when you watch the uh, the Oilers play Cologne this year, that's exactly the same atmosphere that we would have. Um, you know, you could add a little bit more to it because it was a big time rivalry. Um, I think a little bit sometimes when NHL teams go over there, they're subdued a little bit because they're, you know, they're a little bit of shock and in awe of watching some of these players come over and they're like, well, oh, I see this guy on TV. I never get to see him up close. Um, so, you know, I think sometimes when you watch those games, they're a little bit more subdued. But if you get a rivalry game, it's crazy. So let's rewind back. So you're, you're, gonna, you're approaching your junior draft age. So you're playing Bantam. Yep. And you're like, okay, this is the season where I'm going to establish myself. 
did you expect in your head going into the year I'm going to be drafted? What were you? What was your hopes? Well, I had actually started to have conversations with an agent from around here, um, and so he was kind of just updating me along the season. Um, there was Coburn who was playing in, um, I think it was in Notre Dame. There was uh, Myers. Um, he was also there in Notre Dame. So those were the two big fish that were out there. Um, Fanuf was obviously starting to pick up some steam. And so, like, they kind of said, you're going to be in the first round. Um, we just don't know where. Um, so I ended up getting drafted 10th overall to Regina. Were you um, pumped? I was really pumped. It was because Did Barrett, you go to the draft? What do you do on draft? No, there was no draft at the time. Oh, draft. Yeah. Now it's a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, you know, they get phone calls and... and it's a little How bit you bigger, find out? bigger deal. Uh, somebody from Regina called me, told yeah. me that I was uh, drafted there and they're ex- excited to have me. And, you know, it was a, it was an eye opener right out of the gates. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is getting crazy. And, um, you know, Barrett Jackman was their captain. Um, okay, there was, there, he, he was very intense. Right. And so then you're just like, Oh, okay. Like you're deer in the headlights. Did you expect to make the team your first year reporting? Um, no, I didn't. I honestly had no idea what to expect. And I remember walking there. Actually, Dan Washuck got drafted with me, which was actually hilarious. So we had grown up together through KC, and we were really good friends. And so we ended up going to camp together, and, and that was just a – it was good to have him there because it made it a little bit more comfortable. But, you know, just having those guys around. And uh, our first camp was in a place called White City. And I <laughs> – it's funny because the first camp there was a get there was tons of fights. Regina led the league in fights that year, and we because I'm a big kid, you know, guys are trying to go after me. And I remember that one of the guys came up and said, "Hey, Sean, don't worry about this. We got this." And like the next, I think three shifts in a row, there was just fights, and I'm like, "Okay, what's going on?" I'm like, <laughs> "I'm confused right now. Like, I'm I'm fine. Like, no one's doing anything, but." They just decided that they wanted to handle it because I was the guy that was coming in, right? Sick. Mm-hmm. So I feel it was awesome because I felt part of the team Welcome to the right, right away. Yeah. Exactly. So that was awesome. Well, you played in the dub when it still had some teeth. Yeah. Like it's yes. still like of yeah. all the three leagues, I still think I always, you know, I'm a Western boy, but I always put WHL in terms of like still like got a tougher element to it. But the, like that cr- crazy Quebec senior league that's owned by bikers. Yeah. And then the dub, yep. and then the rest of them. Yep. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because when I played fifth, when I was there at fifteen years old, I played four games for Regina, and three of them had line brawls. <laughs> and the one, the worst one, was in Moose Jaw. Yeah. And I remember having like I had the full bubble on, and I just all of a sudden heard, "I got the fifteen year old." And I'm like looking around, and somebody's <laughs> nothing grabbing, good has ever happened. Yeah. Somebody's with, I got the fifteen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was two thousand, two thousand one. So we had Bucky on, who's a former Warrior, and we yeah. talked about our other buddy uh, who played for the Warriors, too, Brian Sutherby. Yep. He was a little bit physical. Was he involved in that line brawl? I honestly don't remember. He might have actually been away for the World Juniors. Because uh, I know Jackman was away, and all the guys were saying there's way more tame of a game when he was not there. <laughs> yeah, Suds was crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. crazy. Yeah, crazy. Line. Yeah, yeah. I love, I, I just, like, I, I, I've got lots of family, and Moose Jaw grew up a Warriors fan as a kid. I just know, like, whenever the Pats were in town, especially in, like, the Crush Can, like, you played. Oh, like, yeah. The, like, yeah. Like, we stole it, that side off the Crush Can. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's from the, the Crush Can. Yeah, yeah. Crush can. Oh, yeah. Uh, Smitty's, Smitty's Warrior jersey over there. Love yeah. little Moose Jaw. Yeah, just I know it was just intense, and, like, the rivalries back then were just, like, exactly that, line brawls. Like, we're he- you're hearing stories of Moose Jaw against Regina in the first round of the playoffs. They're in Regina 
And in the ceremonial face-off, the Moose Jaw Center wins the draw. Yeah, on purpose. Yeah. On yeah. purpose. Yeah. Just yes. to like set the tone of like yeah. not today. Like disrespectful. Yeah. We're in your barn, yeah. we're coming for you. And like oh, just man. it's just funny when you hear that shit. That's just what the dub was at the time, though. Like you walk in and you knew there was gonna be ten fights. Like I played with a guy, Matt Sommerfeld, and this is when I was in Tri City and we traded for him and he came in and he said, You know what, guys, I'm gonna try to break the record for penalty minutes. Oh, okay, that's a lofty goal. And I believe he played half the games and he had two hundred and seventy three pimps. Oh. And so, like, he was fighting all the time. But that's just standard practice in the dub at that time. If one dub game from that era was played now, they'd be landing, like, the Coast Guard on the roof of the arena, and they would encircle the arena with troops, and everybody yeah. there would have to go get PTSD yep. counseling and shit. Now, that's 273. They weren't issuing 10s yet then, No, 10s yeah. was pretty hard to get. Like, yeah. you had to commit murder for that. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, you grew up in the jungle, man. Like, it's just crazy. So how long were you in Regina for? Uh, I was only there for... Um, the five, uh, the four games, um, they were hosting a Memorial Cup that year. Yep. So they traded all their young guys away because um, they had to load up and make sure they had that run. Um, so I was there for the four games. I got traded to Tri-City, played an extra two uh, there as a 15-year-old uh, against Prince George. So, that's amazing. You made yeah. both Damn, two crazy. teams in the yeah. dub at 15. Like, you yeah, were it was, no joke. It was interesting. It was, um, you know, just the difference between the two teams. Like, with Regina, you knew that they were trying to do something special. With Tri-City, we were just a rebuilding team with, you know, 10 tough guys. Sure. And so you walk in, like, Nasty Morasti was one of my teammates in, wow. in Tri-City, and he was fighting Bugard every chance he got. Um, you know, once again, lion brawl there. Um, but, yeah, it was just a different world. Even between the two teams, it was still a different world, but just one was way more physical than the other. So you had your... You, you played with Tri-City then for how long after? Uh, <clears throat> I was there for four years after, four years, once yeah. I started. And kind of walk us through your time there for those who aren't, don't, maybe are unfamiliar. How did it go? Well, so the first year was, have you ever seen the movie Major League? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so our owner was like that. He wanted to move the team to Victoria, so he was trying to spend as little money as possible. Um, it was a franchise that was really in flux, um, but we had some really good players coming through. Um, when Bob Torrey got there, he decided that he was going to get rid of all the tough guys. Um, so Nasty Morassi got traded up for Scott Kelman, which was, you know, unheard of because it was a tough guy for a guy that ended up scoring 90 points. And it was just one wow. for one. And so he made some really good deals like that. And we started to add some skill. Um, so once that first owner left, we brought in. He failed in his attempt. He failed in his attempt. Unloaded the squad. Yeah, big yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and then the next year, uh, Brian Burke, Glenn Sather, um, they ended up buying the team. Uh, they wanted to move it to Chilliwack. Bastards. <laughs> exactly. Nobody's like, showing Tri-City right? any love. And we had actually a really terrible season. Like, that was my draft year, and it was an awful season. We had two 12-game losing streaks. Guys didn't want to be around. Um, it was really ugly. To go uh, 30th on a team like that is it was bad. even more impressive. Yeah, it was, uh, it was not good. Um, I mean, there was bar fights everywhere. It was really, really Amongst bad. teammates. Just, I'm honestly, I remember there's one game. Um, we played in Kamloops right at the Christmas break, and all the older guys went to the bar because you have to be 19 to go there. And I remember looking out the window for whatever odd reason. And all of a sudden, I see four or five of our guys in a bar fight against a bunch of other guys and like getting the wheels beat off of them. Oh, shit. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, guys, we got to go. Yeah. And I remember like running downstairs, and by the time we got outside, the wheel, like the situation has turned 
Like our guys on were top. Up. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> it was really ugly, but at that point now our whole team's out there. Yeah. And you're like, this is not going to go very well. And like, yeah. that was the kind of stuff that was happening in Tri-C at that time. Just the tail end of being able to get away with that. Now. Exactly. Now half the little kids yeah. have their phones out live streaming exactly. the entire fight. And y'all yep. go to Guantanamo for crying out loud, right? <laughs> exactly. But then um, my third year, it all kind of turned around when we hired uh, Don Knockbar. He was just like kind of no nonsense. Coach? He was, yeah, coach. Yeah. And he really turned that franchise around. And it's basically what it is today, so... So you mentioned like the time in Tri-City, the team was so bad, but then you almost like rose above that, like to go 30th overall. And then you were making world junior teams not long after that. Was it frustrating for you to like be having the personal success, but then be on a team that was just like at the level Tri-City was? Yeah, it was a little frustrating. It would have been nice to have a little continuity with coaches. Um, You know, my time there, I think I had like five coaches in four years. Um you know, so that was hard. And Who's like, that sort of interrupt? Who does that remind you of? I, I have read about it on a very good website. And a whole bunch of really young, gifted players can't quite seem to find their... <laughs> it's like an orange and blue team. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Could be, yeah. yeah. Weird. I don't Weird. know. But um, then you do get drafted. Yeah. So I ended up getting drafted. Like, did you go honestly, to the draft that time? Obviously. I did. Yes. Um, what were my, your expectations going into that draft? Well, like, so to start, like, my season wasn't good. Like, it was bad, and I kind of just picked it up towards the end of the season. I was able to kind of salvage a little bit of, uh, you know, my draft stock because um, I think I had slipped to the second round. Um, from an all-time <clears> high From of. I was probably in the top 10 at one point, yeah. and then I just kind of had a free fall. Um, it's hard, and you're not in a winning team. Yeah, and, and it's hard when you don't have, like, stability with coaching. Like, you're trying to constantly learn different uh, – you know, schemes and strategies and, you know, this guy believes in this and this guy believes in that and we want you to do this and we want you to do that. So, like, there was just no continuity in that sense. Um, but I did go to the draft. Um, my billets from Tri-City joined me there and it was an unbelievable time. It was in Nashville. Oh, wow. Um, and I actually had family there and I didn't even know. And so when I got there, my mom was like, I'm going to call your family. And I'm like, what family? She's like, well, we have a bunch of family here. And so then they came, showed up at the draft. Cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And then when I got drafted, like, they just cheered so loud. And, you know, it kind of took me back a little bit. So it was a pretty special moment. That's an amazing moment. Yeah, that's super. And what a city to have a draft in. Oh, yeah. It was can't fantastic. go out, though, unfortunately. Can't go or out, though. can you? <laughs> or you can't, can't go out. <laughs> Once you're drafted, you can go out anywhere. We yeah. were down in Nashville a couple of years ago, and we walked in. We couldn't believe that each bar can make their own booze. You know that rule down there? No. So in Nashville and the whole state? Well, they just you're allowed. They all make their own moonshine. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, "Hey, you want some homemade fireball whiskey that we made here in the bar?" We're like, "Yes." This is <laughs> yes, yes. What I a do. great place. Sixty percent. Yeah. Oh, God. What an amazing arena, though, to like open out onto that street of all the little honky tonk and country bars yep. that were so important in the formation of uh, country music. You can literally imagine people starting their career on one side of the street and peaking on the other side of the street. Hundred percent. It was. Uh... It's a very cool city. It's one of those cities that now is like one of the fastest growing cities in in, uh, America. And if you have a chance to go, like I'd highly recommend it. We're going to work maybe, it all depends on the schedule. One year we will do a nation vacation to Nashville. This year it's Vegas. Yeah, this year it's Vegas. Is that a vacation though? Oh, well, yeah. We just, trips are not it just rhymes, so yeah. we just kind of yeah. gave it a catchy name. Yeah, Vegas yeah, Vegas and Nashville are definitely not vacations. Uh, you need to take a vacation after that one. Yeah, it's yes, like a pre-rehab 100%. party, uh-huh. and you go on a nation trip, and then you come home, and then you got to clean your life up after. Yeah, it, yeah. It, well, that's the thing. It's a Kickstarter to your own little self-cleansing yeah. program. Yeah, because it, it gives you the, the guilties. It's your pre-wake-up yeah. call. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's it's smart. It's, it's yeah, doctor-approved and certified. <laughs> 
So you get drafted, and then after that, you start making those World Junior teams. What was that like going to those hockey? Because before the World Juniors, you were involved with Hockey Canada, but with the U17s and stuff. But like the World Juniors is that pinnacle event. So what was that like getting there that first year? Um, Where was it your year? My first year was in Helsinki. Sick. So like we'd actually, so all the guys around the team, like we'd grown up together. It was uh, very interesting how it worked. So, you know, the under 17, Team Pacific, Team Ontario, uh, Team East, for example, like all those guys that I made the team with, we all played against each other, kind of just growing up the whole way through. And for whatever reason, we just all bonded very, very quickly. Um, and so that first year when we got to Helsinki, um, you know, Crosby was a 16-year-old at the time, and guys really took to him uh, very well. Um, you know, In it was what just, way? What do you mean? Just because they're like, oh, man, he was just such a, Crosby? Yeah, he was such a nice kid. Yeah. And at the same time, you're like, this guy's like a phenom. And he was making plays. You're just like, what? So you're Sean Bell. You're sitting there and you see a young Sidney Crosby and you're like, holy shit, I've never seen a human being do this type of stuff. Yeah, it was just like his backhand was a missile back then too. Um, You know, he scored one goal where he was below the bottom of the circles and he went short side shelf with a backhand. And you're just like, wow, like that is an unbelievable shot. And, you know, the fanfare around him as well, that at that time, all of our guys were just kind of like, okay, we need to kind of protect this guy and like insulate him. And, uh, you know, because everybody was in awe of him. It's amazing to see a kid like that who's the amount of pressure Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid or somebody like that of that nature has had from such a young age. And to be able to go to however many little arenas all around where little guys are going to end Sidney Crosby tonight. Yeah. To live through that for as long as he did. You have to be such a special person in addition to your physical attributes. Without without question. Um, you know, the, the good thing about us when our, with our team is we had actually some pretty physical players. You know, Shea Weber was on that team and Fanuf was on that team. And you know, there was guys that, you know, if you took a liberty with Crosby, like they were coming for you. And I think a lot of times and part of the mystique that we had was that we were just really, really physical. Um, you know, I remember in North Dakota, like we had actually knocked out Ovechkin out of the game. And oh, how old Ovechkin? Um, he would have been seventeen that yeah. year. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember that hit vividly. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. watching that. Game. Yeah, so he was taken out of the game. Malkin was there too, and then you, you know, you had okay. Well, which defense pairing do you want to go against? You know, you had Fanuf and Weber was their first one, and then you had myself and Coburn, and then you had Seabrook and I think Severet at the time. So yeah. it's like okay, well pick your poison. Like, where do you want to go with this one? And so like, if you didn't have guys that could, or enough lines that match up against us, it was just uh, kind of like a snowball rolling downhill and it just wasn't, it was tough to stop. Yeah, man. Like that, that's so crazy to think of looking back now and like reading through that roster, the defense was sick when you remember what those guys were all like. And then the forward guard too, like Jeff Carter, all those guys, do you still look back now and kind of just like, damn, that's an impressive group. Yeah, I was actually talking about this uh, not too long ago. And the crazy part was, though, that Eric Fair and Ryan Stone actually led the entire Canadian Hockey League in scoring at the time. And I think they might have had, like, 100 points at Christmas. And they didn't even make the team. So, like, if you think what you could have actually had, you know, and and I'm not taking shots at anybody because all Mm -hmm. the players were awesome, but, like, take two forwards away and put those two guys on, like, how much more scoring potential would there have been? Yeah, that's that's pretty intense. Um, so coming out of there, there was the year you guys lost to the Americans, right? You know, that was Helsinki. Yep. And then that next year, you guys won it all. Yep. What was that redemption like? And like having that same group back for that almost redemption tour? It was pretty disappointing because I think we carried the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some of the goals that were scored, you know, the one rolls up Flurry's yeah. chest protector and rolls in behind him. The other one was off Coburn's face. Um, 
you know, and it was just one of those things where you kind of like looked, you, you knew you probably should have won it. And the next year it was just kind of a mission right out of the gates where we're like, Hey, this is ours and nobody's going to take it from us. And, and everybody was motivated to, to take home the championship. Cause when we came back, we actually got the papers were just lighting us up because we were choke artists or whatever. Yeah. And we were just like, okay, well these are fluky goals. And it's not like we choked. It's just those things happen. And it's, you know, nine times out of 10, they don't happen, but that one time it does. And it's in the back of your net. And, so we were just very motivated, and uh, yeah, like I said, it was a snowball rolling downhill. We're Canadian World Junior fans. We like to assemble our brightest, best and brightest <laughs> yeah. 17 yeah. and 18-year-olds, sprinkle in a couple 16-year-olds, put them on a pedestal, then shit on them over the Christmas break <laughs> yeah. until yeah. we start the new year feeling good about ourselves. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Called a bunch of 17-year-olds choke artists. That's uh, my annual reset. Yep. Oh, that, I just look at that team, and it's just all the names. It's so crazy, and just like the style of players I like that came out of it. But uh, I you know, you dealt with Crosby young, like at a younger age, but like, and we talked about his abilities and whatnot, but like, was he just like ultimate leader from day one or just like work his ass off and just kind of led by example? Like what was the kind of like playing under him? Honestly, he didn't even have to be a leader. We just had so many guys that were leaders and captains on their team. Like Mike, Mike Richards was an awesome leader. Um, Phaneuf did his own thing. Weber was an awesome guy. Um, you know, you just go down the list and everybody was kind of a captain or assistant on their own respective teams. And, you know, nobody really had to lead. Everybody just kind of said, Hey, we're going to pull this thing together and we're going to go like Patrice Bergeron ended up on the team and, oh God, you know, like right. so much. He, he yeah. Not, okay. So you basically leader. have like all the best captains of the past 15 years. Yeah, on this like team. It was, uh, nobody really had to lead. It was, everybody just kind of said, listen, guys, like this is where we're going and get on. Yeah, everyone just knew what to do. Yeah. So from the World Juniors, then your NHL career began quickly after that. And we only have about another eight to ten minutes here to talk about your NHL career, which is crazy. We how may have to do this going. in a two-parter, sir, if you don't mind. Because people are going to be like, really? They went heavy on the minor hockey and then just sort of glossed over the back 15-year pro career. The one thing I wanted to talk to you about, the word culture. It's like such a buzzword now in, around sports, really. You were around a lot of American League teams, a lot of NHL teams as well. Could you tell when you walked into a team like... Hey, I'm walking into the Montreal Canadiens room here. Like, there is a culture here, and like, could you tell when like a room was good and a room was bad just from like walking in it, kind of? Yeah, more or less. Um, one of the best rooms I was in was um, probably the Minnesota Wild room. Um, there were some really good leaders there. Uh, Koivu, he was unbelievable. Um, they invited you in with open arms, and you know, you never felt like a rookie. Um, and you know, actually going back, thinking about it, because I wasn't there that long, but Dallas at that time, you know, you had Arnett, Garen, um, you had Boucher, Barnes, like that group, that team there. From the minute I stepped foot in Dallas, I felt like I was part of the team. And, you know, it was just, it was easy. You just go, show up, and be comfortable, and, you know, let your skill shine. And then when you have teams where the culture is not great, you know, you're kind of walking on eggshells a little bit. Because you never want to piss someone off or, you know, say something that's going to, you know, offend someone. And um, you don't put your best foot forward. And it's just what it is. It's not, uh, you know, I don't think players are coming in to be, you know, to fail. Like they show up and they 
they kind of understand the dynamic of the team and, you know, new players coming in or players coming from across the world, they come in and they see that. And a lot of times they just don't want to step on toes. And that's kind of when things go sideways. As an organization, like as a program, regardless of league, what do you do? Like, do you, are you even able as an executive or coaching staff, you must register that your room is off. Like can a coach walk in, look around the room be like, uh Oh, like, honestly, I don't even know if they really know that much. Like coaches don't hang out in the room all day. Like, you know, the best thing you could do as a coach would be to, you know, get your work done early and make sure that you're available to be in the room all the time. Um, but once the coaches are in the coach's room and the boys are in the dressing room, like it's hard to tell. Like you can tell that there may be some guys that don't like each other, but you don't really know if the culture is that bad. You know, if it's a party culture, for example, like as a coach, do you really know that your guys are out till four o'clock in the morning every single day? Well, I'd yeah. have chips in all their heads so I could track them. Yeah, space. Like, that's see, just how I'd run my exactly. team. I like, don't know. Like, if I was a coach, I'd put a bar ban on everybody, but you know that's not happening. Or a Fortnite ban in 2019 because yeah, exactly. everyone's so soft. Yeah, and, and that's just the thing. Like, you don't, it's hard as a coach because there's so many different uh, outlets and different resources for players to do what they want. So, the fuck is ringing? You, me? For some reason, my phone is hooked up to my computer. Oh, oh my phone will be on silent. Oh, my computer will start ringing. <laughs> Unbelievable. I got to figure out my how to computers connect that. My fridge just Jeez. got a fax. I don't know what to tell you. Everything's linked. I run a really loose game. Like I, I can't hide anything because my device is connected to my toaster. Like Everything is fucking displayed everywhere. Um, we're going to wrap up right away, but the last part I wanted to touch, Edmonton guy coming back and eventually playing in just Edmonton. Just hold on. Let me interrupt. Okay. Will you come back, please? Yeah, we're having 100%. a great time. We had one guest in ten months. We have two guests in one day. This is our busy season. Like this is exciting. <laughs> Will you please come back? I don't want to gloss over the back because I think yeah. this is very interesting and going well. But Joaquin Gage is here, and this is going to turn into a situation. So Absolutely. Can we, can well, we book a, a part two? Yep, for sure. All right, now go ahead, your Amtrak. Getting a chance to come back and play with the Oilers, it was brief, but still, like, what was that like when you signed that deal to come back and play in Edmonton? Oh, I was very excited. Um, to have a chance to play in front of my friends and family, I was, you know, beyond the moon. Um, that's That was what I wanted, and, um, yeah, it went the way it went. Now you're back here coaching with the OHA 15s. Uh, what's kind of been the beginning of process of that, and what's that been like getting used to that age group? Well, that age group is something else. Um, before <laughs> before it even started, I had to deal with bullying on uh, Snapchat. So that one really got me. Do you look at a 15-year-old hockey player when you were a 15-year-old? Now you look at a 15-year-old hockey player as a 35-year-old and go, what the heck? They're a different breed. Yeah. They're a different breed. It's, uh, it's all social media and it's all the time. And you got to just make sure that you can clamp down on that because as soon as that it's figured out and solved, then the rest of it goes smooth. But that social media is a different different beast. So unless you, and I don't have any kids I talk to, so I don't really know or care how kids need to be raised. But you're saying if you have 15-year-olds, if you do not have a grip on their social media, you are fucked? Yep. What do you mean? Like you're watching? Well, so you here's, a burner an, account here's an example. Snooping on. <laughs> exactly. I was at uh, HP1, so my coaching certificate here in Alberta. And Michael Chan, who works for the Edmonton Oil Kings, was there. And he was talking about, you know, the curfews for their team. So what they wanted to do was, okay, at 11 o'clock, you got to send a pin of where you are. So 2019 stuff. Exactly. Jay, your computer's ringing. You wouldn't get this. <laughs> <laughs> so they started sending pins all the time. And there was a couple guys on the team that as soon as 1101 would hit, their pin would come in like that. They wrote a script. Exactly. That's so it's I like, so it's kind of like, oh, okay. So then they started to catch on to this. So they decided that they wanted to 
um, check the security footage from the rink. And there was one time they caught the guys walking through the arena at 12 o'clock, but they already had the pin sent to them at 11. So they're like, okay, well, we got to change up our social, our social media game and our curfew game. So they decided that, okay, now you have to send a Snapchat story of yourself at home with your billet family so that we know you're home. Wow. So All I do to get around that is just have some videos in the can <laughs> yeah. of me waving up my billets with it being dark in the background. Just, yeah. exactly. Meanwhile, I'm cosmic bowling at West Edmonton Mall or whatever. Kids a, a green screen yeah. with a loop of just yeah. 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 AI. Yeah. Nobody's real but you. Yeah. It's, a fil- it's a Snapchat filter you got made. Exactly. Billet. Yeah, billet, the billet filter, yeah. Um, we just got to the surface of a lot of it, but yeah, we're definitely going to have a part two of this conversation with Sean Bell. Thanks for your time today, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me out. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Have you got holes to dig, earth to pack, and roads to build? Then you need to call Jabba Machinery Group. Does your equipment need a service? You can't fix stupid, but here at Jabba Machinery Group, we can fix everything else. With a full range of parts to keep your equipment running smoothly, Jabba Machinery Group is a family-operated and Alberta-grown business. Here to help build a bigger and better Western Canada. Give us a call or visit us at jabbamachinery.com. Every single Jabba Machinery Group. Join the family. Welcome back, Nation Real Life. Wanye J. Tyler Uremchuk. No Chalmers. We replaced him with two people we prefer much more. I think uh-huh. that's probably fair to say. Famous people. Yeah, famous people, people. Yeah. people know things. Winners. <laughs> Infamous. And that voice you just heard is Joaquin Gage. Gager, how's it going, man? Good, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Uh, past former oiler number two, uh, Sean Bell's still <laughs> kicking around too. We did it. We took that little break and we were like, well, why does Sean Bell have to leave? Yeah. We'll kick, we'll keep him around. There's and, no uh, rules here. I can almost just step back now. I can give the mic to Sean and yeah, just step go. away. Yeah. <laughs> the roadcaster pro isn't connected I, to shit. This we're going to have to get this room a little bit bigger for Sean's arms. Jesus. What have you been doing, man? <laughs> I live at a gym. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smokes. Well, he did say earlier that he still feels like he can play and he definitely looks like he can yeah, still play. Yeah, no doubt. Oh my gosh. I'm not going to any more uh, alumni skates if you're shooting. Jesus. I usually don't even hit the net anymore, so it's all good. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I read a... This is... You just said hitting the net. I was reading a, uh, an article on OilersNation.com. Fantastic website. Fantastic website. <laughs> I believe it was someone was doing a review on uh, Smirkov. And uh, anyways, it's about Smirkov, about how he's evolved. Like his shots evolved from like he always used to miss the net and probably led the OHL in missed net shots. Um, like, like, like way wide. And now he's improved that. Anyways, you brought that up saying so missing the net. Like this is a guy who's trying to improve on trying to hit the net. Anyways. When you guys look at kids today and you're still very active in the game, do you look at them and do you feel sorry for them or are you envious of them because it's all still in front of them? Or do you look at it now and be like, I don't know if I could have done it in 2019. Uh, Yeah, I don't think I could have done it. I don't think just because the time requirements to, to, to be that skilled at the, at this level, I definitely miss it at times. Um, but I don't, I don't, sometimes I, uh, watching a game, I'm like, oh, that'd be fun to compete at that level again, you know, and, and do that. But, and then there's other times going, phew, thank God I don't have to deal with that anymore. So it's, um, I'd, I'd like to play, but I don't think I'd like all the stuff that comes along with it too, I guess, if that makes any sense. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, kids are so much more advanced right now in, in terms of their skill set. And I, I was at the brick tournament the other day and uh, Mick DuPont's kid is out there and he's going cross ice, one timers, bar down at 10 years old. And I'm like, that is disgusting. I don't know if I could do that anymore. I, it's, it's an unbelievable where these, it's unbelievable where these kids have gone. 
Have you ever seen that thing on Instagram? It shows the person doing the like the bar at the Olympics in 1912. Yeah, yeah. And then in like I think it was like 2018 or whatever it was, and like back in the day, it was like you're yeah. holding on by one hand, you have a cigarette going, right? <laughs> you're like high fiving people on your team, and then you see now it's like octuple flips, yeah, yeah. dismounts. What's it going to be another hundred? Like years? the floor program was just a series of cartwheels, and yeah. now they're like doing like triple flips. You just and... walked around the outside waving to the crowd, oh. and you got a silver medal, right? Yeah. The progression <laughs> in sport is just insane, uh, especially like like when you talk about hockey. It's the speed is just insane. These in the shape these kids are in, and just obviously all the skills training we're talking about earlier off air, I guess you say, yeah, uh, offline, uh, just about like. All the like the all it is is just the time they put in to become these like skill robots, and then it's just trying to like now the problem to solve is how do they apply it, and a lot of people and that's when that's and that's the now the secret sauce is how we get we can we can teach these kids how to shoot a puck a hundred miles an hour, but now like how do you teach them to hit the net at, in a pro level game? I th- yeah I remember when just before before we had a lot of NHLers in the uh, at the Olympics and things and. Um, we had somewhat of a minor league team going to represent Canada the, at the Olympics, and we'd we'd get crushed by these teams. And um, the they always said how oh Canadians they they play well in games, but they don't have the skill level as a lot of a lot of European teams. And I think there was a balance there where, where we were oh we have to work a lot harder off ice. We have to we have to work on our conditioning and skating skills, puck skills. So. I think at the grassroots level at Hockey Canada, they started t- incorporating that to, to younger kids. And uh, But I think we've, I really think we've lost our way a little bit um, just with so much on specific skills and not enough just playing to have fun, you know? Like, uh, you like to see, just coaching some goalies for over the last few weeks at uh, my buddy Ian Gordon's camps, the, the smiles on these kids' faces, um, it, it it gave me a lot more appreciation of what I did before because I remember being that kid with those smiles, right? So, I mean, I understand every uh, – I, I love kids that want to be on the ice eight hours a day, but it's tough when you see the kid that, that doesn't want to be on the ice but someone off the ice wants him to be on the ice all day, right? Yeah, like, <clears throat> if you, do you remember, like, when you went to the, the outdoor rink and things were just not structured, right? Like you always had to read and react to different plays. Now kids, they're so structured in everything that they do that when they get on the ice, it's got to be that structure and this is exactly what's happening. There's not that reading react. And, you know, a lot of times I think there's more and more coaches going to, you know, the outdoor arena style where it's, you know, smaller games and go play. Be creative in what you do. It's not, okay, Today you're going to toe drag right here and wait for this defenseman to move his stick and then you're going to try to push away from him. Like that stuff happens maybe, you know, one out of a hundred times in the NHL. But a lot of these guys are able to read and react. They're able to see, you know, a positioning of a defenseman or forward and, you know, get them to move this way because they practice that and just having that creativity. I think that's kind of a lost, uh, lost art is, you know, being on the ice and just, winging it essentially so what you're saying right now is it's so structured where the point is like okay i'm gonna go do this play and that means that defender is gonna do that as a result and my guy will be there 100 percent. and if that yeah. doesn't go to plan that I'm, gonna player, mo- I'm gonna snapchat him some pissed off emojis <laughs> in about an hour and a half and, and if that doesn't happen the play that player's screwed like yeah, you can't like make they, the decision to yeah what's plan b yeah. like they don't know what plan b is 
right? And, you know, you look at a lot of players. Okay, well, Patrick Kane is a perfect example. Like, he's got ultra skill, and he's a younger player, so he's probably been in those situations situations where it's structured. But at the same time, he's probably old enough that he's been on the outdoor rinks, and he's able to, you know, be really creative, and you just see a lot of great plays come from because if it doesn't work out, okay, well, I'm going to go to plan B and C. And that's the... Like, I couldn't wait till the end of practice half the time, you know? Because at the end of the day, people are just rifling pucks at me. That's no fun. Oh, no, shit. Yeah. So I'd, I'd much rather play, like, the little three-on-three games at the end and throw a few bucks on it, beers. Oh, the one, well, yeah. We, we played for Gatorades, right? Of course. So, of course. So, uh, Ten-year-old code say, for beers. Yeah, yeah code for, but <laughs> it was great because if I won, then uh, the guy that lost or whatever, he'd, like, be, we'd be in the dressing room, and he'd bring the Gatorade oh, nice. usually, and give it to guys, undo the skates and stuff, <laughs> and just you'd yell at the guy and told him he sucked, and it was great. As a professional goalie, and, and you're setting up to take a slapper, how do you quieten every human instinct in the millennia human beings have been around? Yeah. When a fucking speeding thing is coming for you, you get out of the way. <laughs> the most for 90, unnatural thing. For most every human, it's like, something's coming for me. I'll get out of the way. How do you stop that? You know, I, I really don't know. It's just a, a, it's a weird thing to, I can stand in front of a shot like that and just sit there. Like, because it's awful when you get hit. Like, it, you know, it's going to hurt. It's terrible. <laughs> it's dumb. But. I mean, I did it for so long, and you just, you, you know, it's a progression. You just You're get, just your you, training? Like, yeah. you just trained it out of you to yeah. be afraid? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, it's it's funny when I do the goalie camps, the goalie camps, and uh, they, you see the one kid that's uh, scared of the puck. For sure. Oh, and you're just, and then so I'm shooting, or someone's shooting, I go, tone it down a little bit. Then you're... You know, you're chucking muffins at this kid, and they're they not just, helping them. No, it's not helping them at all. You got to set the parents aside it, and be like, "We need to have a yeah. talk." And he's just he's out there with brand new like gear ju- and price like, tags on oh it. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's so shiny! Like I go around and shoot pucks at all the kids' new gear and just to put some marks on. Sure, it. Yeah. you know, <laughs> I put the first mark on that stuff. But yeah, some of these kids are rolling with fifteen hundred dollar gear, and they they don't want anything to do with that puck. <laughs> For a normal person, you know, like we went and sat in the lower bowl of an NHL game a little while ago. It's terrifying. Even if you're in the first ten rows of the lower bowl, like if you're watching how fast the game moves to this level, let alone being entrusted to stand at the zone everyone's currently shooting yeah. at as hard as they can. Well, you guys were talking about how uh, the conditioning of these athletes now i remember a few years ago sometimes the Oilers we have this little luncheons and stuff and it was actually at it was at rexall i remember and mcdavid was first year on the team and um i don't know if you guys ever go to the horse races but uh when you go see the horse race and they parade the horses out so you can see them yeah. before yeah. right and the term oh he looks like a racehorse like there's a difference between a working horse and a racehorse and seeing connor and nurse completely different body builds from even when I stopped playing, you know, they were lean and no, not really big up top as much. And just, but their cores and legs, that's all they cared about, but they looked like racehorses. And then, you know, watching them on the ice and how quickly they move, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But I think they're more prone to injury. Sometimes, uh, a little cushion can help you in the corners. Remember we saw that, remember we saw that Dallas cowboy at the mall? Remember when we were in Dallas at one time? We saw like the yeah. reserve. Was he like a wide receiver or yeah, something? Yeah, he was on the practice squad. Yeah, we yeah. saw a Dallas Cowboy talking about somebody who looks like they are just bred yeah. for this role, right? And he was walking around the mall in Dallas, like zero percent body fat, and like his musculature, like he was just walking around. You are like, 
that guy for sure <laughs> is like currently in the middle of a training program, yeah. some variety drinking. Like that people didn't look like that 20 years no, ago. No, no, no. It was, they were, guys were massive, you know, and just benching and squatting and just huge, huge. We had the He-Man action figure swings when we were taking slap shots. It's terrible. <laughs> Sorry, that was funny. Well, hey, laugh away. <laughs> I have to ask, just because we're talking about the, the insanity of being a goaltender. Uh, who, what, what's the heaviest, hardest shot you've ever faced? Like, or who? Sorry. Can't you, can, you, you can say me. Were you known He's, for your cannon? <clears throat> no, yeah. Oh, exactly. hey. No such thing as bad PR. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. You usually backdoor and just tap ins all the time, I think. But um, there was a there was a guy. His name was Darcy Martini, and he I remember that guy. He really? yeah, yeah, he was with the Oilers. This guy so fun. There's so many good stories about this guy. Um, really hairy man, like unibrow, full back hair, and like the one just. Real hard shot. I'll get to it in a sec. But no, no, the, go on uh, about his back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He had a show, point. Let's, the, get about, let's talk about his back more. It was my first year pro, and uh, you couldn't shave the rookies anymore. <laughs> and Those are the sad days. Yeah, yeah. The only team that did was Rochester. They still shaved their, their rookies back then. But um, Try shaving a rookie now. Oh, so yeah. when you say shave, like Call shave the their whole Nations. bodies? No, just their heads. But we were playing the Rochester Americans. And what's uh, oh, the Kevin McClellan? Yeah. He was playing in Rochester. And we played Rochester in Cape Breton, and all the rookies that weren't playing were sitting up in the stands, and they all had hats on, and before, and we're in warm-up. McClellan's skating around, and it's quite quiet in the rink, and he yells out, hey, take those fucking hats off to all the rookies up there. And he saw all these rookies take their hats off. Up in the, <laughs> the whole arena starts dying laughing. <laughs> but that was just minor league stuff. But, oh, God, yeah. But anyway, Darcy Martini, we couldn't shave our rookies, so he decided to shave his number in his back at our rookie party. There was, <laughs> there was some bad screech rum or something. But you could see the numbers in his back until Christmas. Oh, it was, it was like awesome. you could see it till then. Oh, my gosh. Was, he was a great guy. But ha- the... Hardest, hardest shot, like his snapshot. Everything hurts. It just, he made the puck feel like a shot put every time he shot the puck. And even when he'd get the puck on the power play, like everyone would just get right out of the way because it was coming high and hard. (laughs) And out of control. It was never going on the ice. And it hit the glass or went in. So as a professional goalie, so you're you're very well know you're you're paying attention to everybody on the ice. Why does a guy like that not have a bigger impact? You think in the pro game? Like, is it is there a variety of reasons why the guy the hardest shot you ever saw didn't have a big game? His uh, he was not motivated enough to be a be an NHLer. That's for sure. But great guy, great player. Like he had all the tools: big, strong, could skate. But just uh, didn't want it. Did, didn't have that that extra gear to to. Uh, I remember our my first uh, like rookie camp right after the draft in Edmonton, and he was there because he was coming out of college, and uh, <laughs> Slats had bought this scale, but it only went up to three hundred, and Darce got on it, and it went like flat zeros. He had just broken his back, so he hasn't he didn't do anything, but he was way overweight, and. Uh, Slats was throwing this thing in the training room and goes, this fucking scale doesn't work. But Darce was like, all right, it was like, went to 280 and he was like 292 or something like that. So. 
he was all pissed that his scale didn't work. It was so funny. Isn't that the same one that LaRock had to get on a couple of times? Oh, it got upgraded. Yeah. yeah. It got upgraded yeah. to meat hooks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. George. <laughs> you see, George, yeah. I saw pictures of him in the Pride Parade. Jeez. For a vegan, I don't know how many vegetables he's eating now, but I don't know that's either. A, he must be down at the zoo with the <laughs> with those elephants and going into that bag. Oh my gosh! The only thing I feel sorry for when see George is the ice when he's skating on it. <laughs> oh my god, George's a big man. He's always right a huge man. Yeah, he oh. was my roommate my first uh, when his first year. Not a lick of English. And when he, he first came in the league, yeah, yeah, like we we stayed in the hotel, we were at the old forum in together and uh, sharing a room with George. That was tough because there was this big, huge man, and he he had he just wanted to play and like wrestle. Like he would, I would come home and he'd be waiting for me behind the door and like jump on me and <laughs> and throw me around the room because I was like George, stop! But he, you know, he's a man child. This is funny. Good times. <laughs> I love the forum in. <laughs> oh, I, I like if there's a book I would like to read about the Edmonton Oilers, it'd be called like Tales from the Forum Inn. Oh my gosh. Because the shit you guys got away with there and the Forum Inn, they knew which way their bread was buttered. They weren't gonna say shit. I lived I lived there till Christmas my first time with the Oilers. And it was yeah, the, well they had the uh the ballet next door there. So um, <laughs> ballet. Yeah, I uh I got to like every every week new girls would come in and you meet all the new the new uh, dancers that week. It was it was fun. What year did they stop making the forum in the, the billet of the Edmonton Oilers? Oh, I don't know. That... It was probably it was probably negotiating a CBA of some variety. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bunch of agents sat down and were like, "Did you know that the ballet <laughs> next door brings new girls in every uh, week?" Yeah. Oh no. That and then you you uh, I don't know if Bucky got into it, but I, I always had uh, after practice we'd have uh, meetings at the forum in. And we'd go there right after practice. It was good because we would we would have a good afternoon, and you just couldn't function after so much. So it was actually a good night's sleep. You'd be home in bed by seven or eight. <laughs> the original arena district, yeah. <laughs> the forum in the strippers yeah. and a bottle that's, depot. That's, that's all we supposed needed. to be. Yeah. And oh, a working grain elevator right around the corner. And Coliseum steak and pizza. That was uh, oh, that's, that's still that's solid. That's still a staple. Yeah, yeah was, I always found it so shocking with the old arena how they let like Northlands left the grain elevator in. <laughs> I know because this is like our international showpiece. We're bringing in all these NHL players. You're like, you know, we need next to our state of the art 1976 <laughs> arena a working grain elevator. That'll show them what we're about. Oh, uh, that's great. But it's to, it was to maintain its agricultural status because Northlands is essentially a big 4-H club. Yeah, like the arena was funding te technically the shed for the grain exactly. elevator, and so it was paid for with grant money oh, yeah God. the uh, the scoreboard at rogers place cost 50 million bucks and the original rexall place cost 46 million so by that math in the next arena the scoreboard's gonna have to cost more in the new arena than this arena <laughs> yeah. i want to stay alive till i'm 90 because i want to see what a half billion dollar scoreboard looks like don't you find that that thing's too good like if when you go to a game i start watching that if i'm sitting in the seats i it's, start watching that it's all. eye catching yeah, yeah it's brutal and like i i sit high <laughs> That's where our seats are. And it's like just right there. Like it's just like it's it's tough to not not watch it. Just like when you're in like Dallas in oh. the football stadium. Oh yeah. Is that for like twenty yard line to twenty yard line? Yeah, it's so I got like a sunburn dangerous. sitting in front of it because it was <laughs> yeah. so warm. Yeah. That, that thing's unbelievable. Oh yeah, you would, I would love to catch a game there. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
it's weird, like, the amount of screen time we have in these days. You ever, like, spend too much time on your phone and your eyes start to get a little bit sore and you're like, I know what I'll do. I'll watch TV. <laughs> yeah, right? like, yeah. That'll fix the problem, right? Like, good for me. <laughs> Haven't checked my phone in an hour. What have you been doing? Staring uh, at the TV the entire time. Well, that's what we're doing. We're providing people with what they need, a little podcast, you know? That's little, right. Well, this uh, is audio, at least, yeah, right? I mean, so they can, can get, get a break. Yeah. Talking about like the nice facility, it's too nice at Rogers. As a player, like both you guys were on your fair share of minor league teams too. Was there one place where the facilities were just like god awful? Like it was just brutal in there. Oh yeah, there's. <laughs> well, where, where do you start? Yeah, you know this is a good one. Um, I remember just when I played in Germany, um, a lot of uh, a lot of rinks were outdoor rinks, and my first two years there you could still smoke so in the outdoor rink so you would go <laughs> you would warm up you'd look and all these people are lighting up with cigarettes and you'd go in after and you just reeked of smoke like your jersey how many every- people would come to these outdoor games well it was it was half it was like it's their rink oh, it's like it's, an outdoor soccer stadium kind yeah of thing? there you could oh, there shit. was it was in a the Mannheim was in a like a fairgrounds kind of yeah, it was and like it was covered, but, but the walls, like I guess if you had the yeah, walls on the outside, that was all open. open. So it had a roof, but the sides were all open. You yeah. tried doing that in Edmonton. That's the story how 16,000 people froze to death yeah. on a <laughs> Tuesday night. Yeah, no, but uh, I mean, Jeremy, the, the beer's flowing at those things, right? And where our dressing room was, was right above the the men's the men's washroom and they uh it sprung a leak <laughs> and so we came in after warm-up you know you're working hard and stuff you come in you're breathing hard there's nothing like hitting a wall of urine oh. after like after warm-up and thank god i had i sat on the other side of the room because the one side everyone's clothes got just drenched with with urine oh god it was it was really funny tough bus ride home that's for sure oh Haves and the have-nots on that yeah, team. Yeah, that day, yeah, hey? yeah, yeah. Divisive. And it was good because you had uh, the double-deckers in, in Europe. So The team bus yeah. was a double-decker? Yeah. Well, oh, so, that's a nice touch. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the coaches were down, and then the players were all up top. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we forced the, the urine-soaked players downstairs. And we <laughs> that's got to be for kids today, looping back to talking about 2019 minor hockey and junior hockey kids. The bus rides now have to be so different because back in the day, pre-cell phone, pre-smartphone, what'd you do? You played cards, you knew your teammates, you hung out and watched stupid movies. Depends on your coach. Like my, uh, uh, Ken Hodge, who was my coach in Portland, he sat, like most coaches sat at the front, you know, coach at the front, media, everything, and then players work your way back, seniority, older Coolest guys. guys at the back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ken Hodge sat three rows up from the back of the bus and smoked marble lights. <laughs> You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go right in the middle of all my athletes <laughs> and smoke yeah. unfiltered cigarettes. Yeah. So, That's good coaching. And well, there were lights. There were lights. <laughs> yeah, I go, yeah. So well, he'd be an athlete. You know, you're going to Brandon or whatever, and all of a sudden you're trying to sleep, and you're just like, what's that smell? And you see your coach sitting there smoking on the bus. And then uh, we weren't allowed Walkmans. Look, I hadn't really dated myself <laughs> with Walkmans. Huh? Walkmans were yeah, cool. We weren't, allow- we weren't allowed them. He wanted you, you could read or you had to talk to your teammates. Yeah, and so, but he, uh, I think the reason why he sat in the back was to, he didn't want guys chewing tobacco, right? So, well, he's blasting. Well, he's smoking, eh? (laughs) Hey, you kids, if you want to smoke, fine, but you can't be chewing on this bus. (laughs) So he would get up and then, you know, guys are, of course, guys are chewing on the bus, but 
guys would be sitting there and he'd walk past them and then come back and put his thumb right where the guy's got his dip in and then oh. rub it oh. in and make sure he did he couldn't spit like he'd he'd make sure he just sat there with the chew in his mouth and had to swallow oh and so yeah it was it was uh it was, yeah, i don't think he could do that anymore. can you imagine taking a rookie today and just bringing him through a stargate <laughs> yeah. and being like okay now uh, you're a rookie on a dub team back in the day here's your chewing tobacco here's your oh, carton of cigarettes gosh, and yeah. you better be prepared to be shaved there was yeah there's there was nothing good that happened some teams were really bad too jeez well that was tame in in portland we didn't do too much that wasn't bad you know you run the what was the worst arena you ever played in probably swift current like when i was a rookie in swift current you had to unpack the bus and you had to go down these icy yeah. stairs and it was like very steep and as a rookie you're carrying these trunks down and you got your dress shoes on, so like it's a, it's dangerous. Yeah. Like if you fall and you're the guy on the bottom, you got a trunk on top of you and your own player kind of hanging out like <laughs> right on top of you while you're dead, probably. <laughs> I was I, well, I I played in, on the West for a long. I, my last year I played in PA, so, and I just remember Swift being like going into any kind of city old rink, you know, it'd be like going into Tipton almost. It's yeah. just. The hard floors, and you, I'm worried. Oh, my skates are! I'm gonna have to sharpen my skates in between periods here because this stuff's just dulling them. And yeah, Swift was bad, but most job was weird too. I, yeah, I felt yeah, a little claustrophobic in the yeah. crushed coke can there. Crush can. I didn't like the crush can very yeah. much. Oh yeah. come on, boy! But that, but that could be probably stemming from the fact that a guy tried to fight me when I was 15. But that's a different oh. story, right? So <laughs> the crush can, I think, like. That's like a quintessential Canadian hockey experience. Like when we would go to, we'd go to Moose all the time. Yeah. We'd go to playoff games and like, you wouldn't even have to have a ticket. We just stand in the <laughs> corner with beers and ushers would be like, carry on, sir. Like no problem. Oh, and the just best. the excitement level. And, and you know, everybody basically was the, the stands were so steep. Yeah. It was such an amazing. You were standing on top of the ice. Well, yeah, we've got like a lot of connections to Moose Jaw. I got a bunch of family there. This sign on the walls from the Crush Oh, no way. For oh, our yeah. four listeners from the podcast, uh, we've referred to that sign <laughs> yeah. twice today. Yeah, twice today. But yeah. it, it, and you know what? We should probably post a photo of that sign, your yeah. M-Chuck. Thoughts? Oh, yeah. Concerns? Big time. Your M-Chuck's doing emails too. Oh, yeah. I get it. See? It's <laughs> all good. He's too busy Snapchat. Snapchat. <laughs> um, That's a quintessential Canadian hockey experience. Yeah. So is yeah. um, Prince Albert. Yeah, PA? That's PA, why I played, yeah. PA. It hasn't you changed. Too, yeah. Oh. My 20-year-old year, that was... Yeah, it was. it's oh. pretty bad in there. Yeah, that's really yeah, bad. Though. Really bad. Yeah, that's probably yeah. the worst rink in Canada, I'd say. And it's still the same. Sorry, like they got Prince those Albert. double seats still and stuff. It's, double seats? It's like Smarties everywhere, yeah, right? Like yeah, just, they're, they're all like different. They're all different I mean, colors. Yeah, oh, just, it's weird. Oh, it's artistic. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that where they had the ladder this playoffs? Was that PA? A ladder. Remember the guy put the ladder in the end zone so you could see? Our friend Carrie sent it to us. Remember, he was up on oh, the ladder. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. Was that yeah. Swift Current or was that? No, that, that would have been PA. PA in the Mem Cup this year, right? Yeah, yeah. that would have been PA. The guy brought a six foot ladder. And Come he was, on. Yeah, and he was in the end for like the final game, and the usher let him bring yeah. it in, and he was standing there on the top. Yeah. Only in PA. Yeah. 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 So does Swift still have its old arena? I, I, I think so. Upgraded yeah. it though. Did they get the league ultimatum like uh, Moose Jaw did? Like if they didn't get a new arena within so many years, they were getting their franchise pulled. And like four different plebiscites failed. With like, do you want a new arena? No. Do you want a new arena? Uh. Uh-uh. Okay, we're gonna get that new arena. You guys won't stop talking about. <laughs> that was that was the fun part about like we I played in Portland and you know big like the Trailblazers played where I played. You're you at know? the Rose Rose Garden. Uh, it wasn't built yet. Okay. So we were still in Memorial. the Glass Palace. There. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, 
and then we, uh, you know, Seattle, Tri-Cities was nice. It was a brand new arena back then. So to, we played in the Tacoma Dome. Oh, no. And so that was, it was weird. It was like a baseball stadium playing a hockey game. And, and uh, the glass there was so high that they started selling these uh, telescopic <laughs> blowhorns so a guy could sit there but it went up and it, they could yell at you on the ice right <laughs> so i remember kale hulse just in warm-up going by and just hitting every like they were just cardboard right so he's smashing all these people's these, they uh, want they encourage fans yelling yeah, at you oh, yeah. different days great. those yeah, yeah. while no. they're smoking cigarettes in the stands <laughs> i assume <laughs> no just in europe those were bad those were bad the one uh the one that uh, there was only a, another one open rink in in germany in, in augsburg and uh, it was deep in a valley, kind of. So I remember one time the snow was howling. And it, it must have been about minus 10 that, that day down there. And it, I, you know, I'm drinking water and I came to the bench in between plays at one point And my jersey was sticking straight up because it was, I had gone down or something, make a save. And my jersey froze like straight up. Like you, you had to crack it and bend it back down. We had... Uh pregame skating in Augsburg so it was still open when yeah. I was there oh really and yeah so our coach was it was sunny and there's parts of the rink that had sun and then there's parts of the rink that had shade <laughs> and our coach is like okay hey, we had Freddie Bathwaite as our goaltender yeah. and he's like okay guys you guys have to shoot from the shadows to warm up Freddie because if you shoot in the sun he's not going to see it <laughs> <laughs> Freddie Brathwaite had an amazing career. I remember one time we were in Germany. No, we were in uh, Denmark watching a oh. German league game. And I'm like, we're like, on like a bus tour, right? I'm like, yeah. look at the TV. Look at Fred Brathwaite. Yeah. And he had like a 68 save performance. Oh. And I just, it was like an amazing time machine. Like there he was still playing in Europe, still playing well. A lot of guys go over to Europe and play for a long time in front of a lot of fans and have great careers. Oh, it's, it, it it's living your life in the reverse kind of for me. Like I basically retired, went to Europe for 10 years before I had to come back here and start working again, but it was, it's great. So t- t- let's talk about that experience. Like overall. So I know you were the MVP of the British super league. Yeah. I won the heart. No big deal. <laughs> and then where else, what other leagues did you play in over there? Uh, I played in the Swedish league, uh, the German league, and Swedish elite league. Yeah. German. Uh, yeah. Is it called the German elite league. Uh, DEL. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, then I played in the, uh, the Italian league my last year. Cool. What was your favorite? Oh, I really liked Sweden. Um, I, I mean, I was on a good team, playing well. I lived in Stockholm. Like, it was fabulous. Like, just awesome, awesome time. And, I mean, it's basically the NHL of, of that country, right? So you're, you're treated well. Everything's so professional and stuff. So it was really easy to, to perform and do well. If I'm looking at a, if I'm a player and I'm looking at, do I want to play in the A or do I want to go play in Sweden? Do I want to go play in Germany? Do I want to go play? Like I've been it's making tough. a very it's hard tough. argument. Cause I remember my, it was my third year pro and I, I really sucked that year and the Oilers weren't going to resign me. And one of my teammates told me, Hey, I want to talk to you. I got this guy in, in England. He wants to, he wants you to come over and play next year. And this is like my third year pro. And you know, he, you only get in it to play in the NHL. Yeah. That's where you you want to be. Yep. Like anyone tells you different, it's lying to you. So I uh, I said no, man. I I, I want to play in the NHL. And so the next three years was bouncing around from American League team to American League team to um, taking the buses everywhere. Played in the East Coast a bit. Back in the American League, I um, I got to play on Team Canada 
uh, in 99. And then I played in all those tournaments, the Izvestia, Spengler, and Sweden Hockey Games, uh, the Finnish Cup there. And I was like, wow, you know, this is, I can do this. Like, this is fun. So that year of traveling all over the world, um, I was like, yeah, man, giddy up, let's go. And I had signed with uh, Nuremberg in the German League, and <coughs> it was right before World Championships, and Tom Rennie was our coach. And so I, uh, I asked Tom at the end of the year, is there any interest in me playing in the NHL? And he said, uh, Gager, there's not, but uh, Edmonton needs a goalie in Hamilton for the playoffs. And I'm like, ugh. And I left on such sour terms with, well, to me, sour terms with Edmonton just because I, I didn't finish well and I wasn't playing. And, and uh, he said, there, I, I'd love to take you to Worlds, but I got to take two NHL guys. It's just the way it is. And you'd be third guy. So you might as well just go play and have, you know, if you're, go to Germany next year and uh, you're golden. And I was like, okay. So I went to Hamilton and I knew some guys there. So really easy. And I ended up, we ended up doing quite well. I think we got to the semis or something like that. And I, uh, <laughs> the, the funniest part was, um, I got there and I didn't know the situation, but they had to win the last two games to make the playoffs or something. I was like, Oh God, <laughs> pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, we got Do you in. arrive like that and feel like it's not your fight. Like, Oh yeah. Another team and another playoff push. No, you, you always want to be a player that's counted on and feel like you were part of something all the time. That's the, especially as a goalie, there's no better feeling. Um, but, I, uh, it was the end of the season. Everyone's got their exit meetings and Scott Housen was the GM and, uh, I'm packing up my stuff and I'm, I'm not even thinking I'm going to go talk to these guys. Right. Cause I'm, I'm go- I was just like the, the Merc that got hired at the end of the season there. And, uh, they said, Scott wants to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I went in and I didn't, I'd known Scott forever. Right. He was my GM way back when I, f- with, uh, when I first turned pro and he goes, Hey, Joaquin, thanks for coming. And I go, Hey, and we sat down and talked and it was great. And I said, well, thanks for having me. I had a blast. And he goes, well, we'll talk to you this summer. We're thinking about signing in. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) funny one, Scott. Yeah. I'll I'll talk to you later. He goes, no, 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 seriously. We're we're thinking of signing you. And I'm like, okay, Scott, yeah, joke's over. I'll I'll talk to you later. And then two days later, I got a call from my agent with an offer from the Oilers. And (gasps) so I was like, geez, um, he wasn't lying to me at the he end wasn't of the lying, season. He wasn't lying to me. And so there was, again... Um, two-way uh, deal? Uh, yeah, it was two-way. Yeah. But back then it was a, It was good because Canadian teams, I think... It, the, the NHL dollar was the American dollar at that point. But a lot of times if it was a two-way deal, if you got sent down to the minors and you weren't a Canadian team, they paid you in Canadian dollars, depending on where your minor league team was. But I got... I got American money on my two-way two-way deal, That's so <clears throat> uh, I didn't have that much negotiating power, but I got that put in there. And because uh, even as like an AHL player getting paid American money, you're living much better than a non-hockey player your age has gone the corporate route. Yeah, but again, it it's different. It, there's a, there's still a lot of you got to pay for your place. Then you you know the you're moving and stuff. So it's there, there's ex expenses in there that that aren't always fun to pay but uh what about when you're in europe and you're making the tax-free dollar oh, there you, you get like, there <laughs> you get there they give you keys to an apartment and a car and say here you go you know 
It's, and we worked out a deal. For some reason, this shit is tax-free. We yeah, can't get into it. Uh, awesome. Brown paper bag. Uh, in Italy, it was great because I got a brown paper bag at the end of the month. Paid in cash? <laughs> Once a month? cash. Really? Yeah. I was like, Jesus. I might have to hire security to go to the bank. <laughs> We've heard some of the horror stories. The guys who play in the KHL. Yeah, and they're like teams. trying to come back and like they think they're being set up to be robbed leaving yeah. Russia. Yeah. They're coming yeah. home with just, just cash. My, a guy I used to play against and... I was with him in Washington. His name's Martin Brochu. He was a goalie. Really good. He went to Russia and hit all his bonuses. And he, from what I heard, he hired security to go home. Like, he had two armed guards and uh, ex escorts to the airport because he had a couple hundred grand in his suitcase going home. We heard a story about that. We won't say who because, you know, he might be listing very unlikely. <laughs> I, I doubt he's listening. In the K, though, yeah. coming back with like a million, a million dollars cash <laughs> yeah. and in a pe- hockey bag. And people in the airport being like, we want to talk to you over here. Yeah. He's like, this doesn't sound right yeah. at all. Yeah. He got out by the skin of his teeth. Well, there was John Graham. I don't know if you ever heard yeah. that story, right? So John Graham, he went over there. He wasn't playing very well. And they, they were at a party and police arrested him. They took him to jail. And apparently, like, the rumor is that the owner of the team met him at the jail and basically was like, okay, here's your options. You're either leaving now with no money or you're going to stay here in jail because you have drugs. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so he just kind of like, okay, we'll see you later. I'm gone. Didn't get his money. And I think that's when I ended up playing with him in Lake Erie. No way. That's the opposite of Houston pulling you aside because he wants to sign you. Yeah. yeah. The other off season. <laughs> like, well, yeah. this season couldn't have yeah. gone worse. Yeah. Jeez. That's crazy. No, there's no law there, though. That Well, back even when I went there with Team Canada, it was uh, it was sketchy. Like, we were we were flying all over the place and, and then busing from place to place. And we had two cop cars, and one in front, one in back of our bus, you know, just in case. I spend a lot of time down in Mexico City for work. And I'd never really been anywhere before where I, you take law and order for granted. Oh, yeah. Living in Edmonton, right? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> the police pull you over. They're actually on your side. Right? Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. If yeah. something bad happens to you, you call the police. Yeah. And if you're driving down the road, the likelihood you're going to witness like a horrible crime is fairly limited. Right. And I imagine Russia in those days being a very similar thing, like lawlessness. It After a while, like you are on edge. Yeah. Right? It's, like, it's the Wild West. It was the like. We flew in and then we were going to a place, so we had to take a connector in Moscow. And the uh, ticket uh, booth wanted more money, and Tom Rennie was yelling at this this guy, and they wanted they wanted cash, and he was just losing his marbles. And then he stormed off, and then they said, "We're not we're not loading your stuff." And then so Tom goes, "Grab it, let's go." And we we sent went out on the tarmac in Moscow on this plane wow. and we started loading this plane so sounds like a spy movie yeah i was t- i was telling you this yeah. the other day yeah this uh yeah we we were loading this plane and throwing shit in there that we didn't know if we were supposed to pack it the right way and stuff scariest flight in my life when I was talking to my Mexican buddies, they talk about how, like, as, I was the only Canadian they'd ever seen. And they're like, you're just so nice. Like, as Canadians <laughs> go, are you nice? I'm like, I don't know. I'm on the nicer end of the spectrum, I'm sure. And after a while, they realize, they're like, it's because no one's ever tried to shake you down. Like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you've never had, like, a guy in a corner, like, extort you because he doesn't want to move your bags. Or a police officer pulls you over and he's, you know, do you want the little ticket or the big ticket? Like, in so many countries around the world. That's the life you lead. Yeah, yeah. Right? Where well, you have to bribe people to get shit done. It was a good one time we were, we were going out in Moscow, and after the game, 
and we were out at the hotel and some guys left early and some guys left the you know second wave of guys i i was in the second wave but the first wave got there and they walked a bit and i think some guys ducked in the alley to take a leak or something like that and all of a sudden sirens cop cars came in both ways they threw everyone up against the wall and were like yelling weapons passport weapons and like we don't have any weapons we don't have. and uh they took their passports and then they took their wallets took all their money and threw the the stuff back to them the cops left they took all the cash all their cash they were russian rubles yeah virus, but yeah yeah, it's it was weird. The the one of the you can see when Russian <laughs> players come over here and everyone's like, "Hey, how you doing?" And they're like, "I don't know. I don't know if I want to tell you how <laughs> yeah. I'm doing." You're like, yeah. "Where have you come from? What's happened to you already?" I, I remember the one. It was really quite emotional. The uh, every time you go, you get like a host that travels with you for an interpreter and stuff like that. And so our host, he was a great guy. God, I wish I could remember his name right now, but. You know, after being there for, we were there for like a week and a half and we all had all these rubles and you can't even exchange them anywhere, right? What year was this? Uh, 99. Okay. So we, uh, we just said, hey guys, get, give me all your rubles or whatever and stuff. And we gave it, we gave it to our, uh, to our host, right? So, and he literally fell to his knees and started crying. <sighs> And he was hugging and kissing us all. And he was like, thank you, thank you. And I guess we gave him like a two-year salary. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like he was, he couldn't believe what we just did. I had a similar situation. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, Whereabouts was yours? um, We were in Yaroslavl. And after the tournament, we gave all of our rubles away. And same thing. Yeah. He started, just broke down, started crying and thanking us. And it's, it's crazy. You get home to Edmonton at the end of that trip, you're like, you know what? I don't really care that Bonnie Dunes A&W suck shit. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I am not getting pulled over by the police oh, and getting fully shaken down for all my rubles or oh. getting two years as a tip when I have a bus tour of kids. Although, because uh, I remember we would, uh, and Team Canada, we was based out of Calgary, right? So we uh, we would go to Cowboys a lot. on Because our, our training schedule was like Monday to Saturday and Sundays off. So we would call Cowboys and say, hey, Team Canada is coming to Cowboys. So We know just <laughs> what to do. Uh, yeah. And then uh, I remember like we were, we went to Scandinavia and, or we were in the Czech Republic and then we went to Japan and, and you know, you go to those Eastern Bloc countries, it's, it's tough to find a, a non-attractive woman over there. Right. So we were actually when you're team Canada. Oh yeah. So there was, there was this, we were surrounded by all this beauty all the time. And I remember we, because you're, you're so screwed up over those flights. So we came home and we were staying in Calgary one night. And then we were flying to Sweden the next day. And none of us could sleep. And I'm with my roommate. And I'm like, what are you doing? Nothing. You want to go out? I go, yeah. <laughs> so we hit Cowboys. And then so we got there. And the whole team was there. Right. And yeah. we're, but we were, it was just kind of because we couldn't sleep. So we knew we had to go do something. And everyone's sitting there. And we're in Cowboys. And we're like, Pfft. Girls here are terrible. <laughs> that's just that's just Calgary. That's yeah. just Calgary. Maybe it was. Or oh god, I can't wait to get over to Sweden so we can see some attractive women. Oh, <laughs> and the man—they're all beautiful in Sweden. For God's oh, sakes. being like in Italy. Like I remember being in Italy. <clears throat> we weren't there for very long, but like getting up in the morning and going to like Italian Seven Eleven. The cool thing on the road is everything's exciting. 
for me at least, right? Yeah. Like I'm going to 7-Eleven. Yeah, but Italian 7-Eleven. You see what a croissant looks like there? It's all upside <laughs> down and weird. And walking out of like our hotel and seeing like a hungover Italian guy my own age who's like perfectly windswept and he's yeah. wearing like a tailored suit yeah. and six different belts. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, these Italian guys are taking life serious. Like uh, there isn't a slob in the entire continent. I, I hated in Sweden because those guys, they had so much style. They looked so good all the time. And uh, I remember because... Home games, we didn't have to wear suits or anything. So I walk in. I remember the first game in my suit, and uh, uh, Frederick Lundqvist, he he was with Edmonton a bit in the minors. Um, he starts laughing at me. He goes, "Yeah, we don't have to wear suits, man." <laughs> so I was like, "Jeez!" And then track suits on the road. It was different. It was if you look different. at like photos of people from like 1910 in Edmonton, I remember I saw a photo. It was like. World War II on Jasper Avenue, so you know, even 40s. Everybody has a hat on. Yeah. Everybody has a suit on. If you showed them life in the future, they'd be like, what the hell are you all wearing? Yeah. Like, is anybody doing well for themselves? Like, in those Everyone's days, a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's all jacked up and like Botoxed and shit. Did you uh, ever, when you're in Europe and you decide like, okay, so when you go to the rink, guys wear sweatsuits all the time, like sweatpants, right? And they'd go go to the rink and they're comfortable and then they leave and you did that in europe and the looks that you would get from people because it's like a fashion show yeah. you show up to practice and guys are like dressed up to the nines yeah because they're going out right after practice <laughs> for a nice lunch and i'll never forget the one time i did it and guys were looking at me like i had 15 heads and they're like what are you doing i'm like i don't know i'm just drinks dressing comfortable like yeah. it's a different lifestyle like you go to a grocery store, you're not wearing sweats. Like, you might as well dress up. Like, it's just completely different. Yeah. No, it, yeah, the, everyone, especially Sweden and, and Italy, it was, a, and I, I played in a little ski village too, right? So it was uh, just really rich southern Italians from Rome would come up for skiing and stuff. It was unbelievable. The, the girls, I'm just... <clears throat> imagining must have been terrible it, it, it was affluent italian ski town I don't, it was uh i think trophy it was more wives of them. from rome i don't think oh. it was the wife it was the mistress that was coming with oh, mistress. Yeah. there was yeah they were there was a few older guys that, that i don't that I, they weren't their daughters that <laughs> i'm pretty sure they were, they were russian mistresses. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my gosh oh it's just funny i'm just thinking about the style like like swedes like anything they're doing it's they're dressed to the nines that they're like it's it's their a game at all times oh god even yeah. if you're going to take out the trash they got their beautiful shoes pointed toes nice little scarf hair manicure everything it's i just, went into a store in, in stockholm and it was just for jeans right and i they they were lee jeans and i'm like lee jeans you gotta be kidding me and i put them on and these things were I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I can't wait to get home and get to Mark's work and pick up like 10 pairs of these yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> these things kill in Stockholm, boys. If you want to look good like the Europeans, then you should definitely go head out and check out our good friends at Indochino in West Edmonton Mall. Custom Amazing. suits. You go get nice and measured up. They handle it all for you. I don't have all the information like Bag Milk does, but I can tell you that you will get a high-quality suit from our friends at Indochino delivered right to your door. In a nice box, you'll be looking good. You can go to grocery shopping in Sweden, and you'll <laughs> if, blend perfectly in when you head to Indochino. If you wanna, if you wanna look like a Swede, go to Indochino. I recently wore my suit to a wedding, and uh, I chan I channeled my inner Euro. I went no socks, pants are slightly a little bit above the shoe. You know, I got it all tailored, all Euro. 
and, you know, put a little beard oil in, and I felt like I was, you know, Sven Downton. <laughs> Good segue. Good segue. Amazing. We tease that up. That was, that was huge. That yeah, was well done. That's, that, that, that's, part, that's, that's like half the battle of the podcast. Yeah. It's like, what can we jump in on and do an ad read? Uh, that's or Indochino, and they listen, and I'm like, there's no way they're going to like that ad. They're like, no, no, it's good. It's organic. <laughs> That actually is an interesting segue. So we're going to be doing a lot more work together coming up in the office, yeah. in the new season, Joaquin. And like maybe just kind of give our listeners, all six of them, what's an expectation of what's coming up? Well, nothing but high expectations, but I don't really know what's... Uh, we're flying by the seat of our pants a little bit. We've, the nation uh, way. That's the nation way. Yeah. Structure uh, is not allowed. I, nope. I like it, though. Uh, Dusty and uh, Cass and I are going to be uh, starting up a little podcast, uh, Two Guys and a Goalie. So uh, hopefully... Uh, Listen to this, and we'll uh, we'll have some life tips on there for you. That's Matt Cassian. <laughs> Matt for those Cassian. Who don't know. Oh, right, yeah. Matt Cassian. Not Zach. It'll yeah. be Matt. Matt yeah. Cassian. Yeah, and it's going to be video. Yeah, and it's going to be audio, and it builds on Dusty's show last year, which Inside the Nation was awesome. Yeah, Inside and Inside the Nation will still be going. I just think less frequent because Dusty's going to be a content machine going yeah. into this season. But I think it's an opportunity because we we had talked to Dusty, and uh, this kind of you know, came about over some beers on a patio and uh, leading into the season. Like, like, how can we find a way to do more? And this kind of podcast, video, uh, vlog, whatever you want to call it, came to be. And, uh, yeah, he, he we're like, okay, well, we need to kind of mount a team around this because there's going to be some kind of people's schedules change. You know, Dusty can't always be there and others can't be there. And uh, we were fortunate that uh, Dusty kind of reached out to, you know, because – Gager, you already work with Dusty here and there on, yeah, on his show and do some radio stuff. So, yeah, so he kind of uh, assembled a, a team, and now we're actually going to have, like, a legit podcast with, like, hey, people. Hey, 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 well, hey, hey, well, hey, 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 <laughs> motherfucker. I'm on, like, 144 of these things. That's, well, like, well, hey, what, and, and, and. It's good that ours is unlegit. That's 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 where the, the only way we know how to go. Exactly. But we made the nation that's the way it needs to be. We can be, be unlegit. That, Who's going to fire us? Exactly. Us? <laughs> I'm not firing myself. Are you firing yourself? Not today. <laughs> not today. <laughs> not today. Not today. But yeah, no, I actually have guys that like have done things yeah, and pros. know things. Yeah. But like, is it going to be interview driven? Is it the news of the day? Like, what are you wanting to do here? I'd uh, well. A little hockey, obviously, but... Uh, but like last night's scores, uh, yeah, or... I'd like that. I, I also want to do a bit uh, Edmonton-based stuff, you know? Um, like, we're all... I think I'm the oldest one of the bunch, but just life experience, you know? Dusty's got small kids. I love hearing those stupid yeah. stories, you know? My kids, it, you know, just... I, I want it to encompass everything. And, yeah. and uh, if we can get some, like, Belzy salt of the earth guy i love this guy if we can get him on a few times and just yeah and when everyone has different views on on different things and i know like when we're just sitting here i guess offline you know the stuff that we're talking about just something like that that that, that just grows and and uh hopefully people have some interest and you know you're taking for your dog for a walk and listen to us rap about stuff for for an hour so i think that's great it's a weird world it's a yeah. weird world 2019 right podcast it seems like everybody has their own podcast and they all suck and that but like the how we consume content has shifted so much like i remember when i was a little guy i'd listen to john short every night mm. john short yep. put me to bed and i didn't play hockey when i was a little guy um, but I loved the Oilers and I loved listening to John Short every night, every yeah. night. Yeah. And now how we've 
listen to our post game and our pregame. Like at the Oilers Nation this this season, your M Trek's doing a pregame show, and it's a twenty minute pregame podcast and twenty minute postgame podcast, and it's really cool to be involved in kind yeah. of the John Short of its day. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we don't have to have millions of dollars worth of physical infrastructure anymore. We need the old Roadcaster Pro, which we were actually pissed off we had to buy, and it was eight hundred bucks. <laughs> but you rewind twenty years, and you had to have like a million dollars worth yeah. of Soviet era computer technology. Yeah, exactly. You need an entire building to house the functionality yeah. of that thing. Fifteen Roadcasters in series, all well together i think it's really cool that you can now especially with the platform of the nation network we have a built-in audience we joke we have 12 listeners and mm-hmm. hopefully one day we do <laughs> we're gonna build up to it you know what i'm saying it's organic but well, I, I can bring a couple over yeah i'd love it i love it It'd be amazing well, and i think the one thing that these guys are gonna they actually know hockey and they're gonna take a lot of edmonton focus and have a little bit of a league-wide approach because this is something that we're gonna promote on all sites yeah that's what i'd like to see right i'd like to see you guys turn into like league authorities right we're not just necessarily (laughs) but for real right like to the victor go the spoils right like if you're willing to go out there and start putting out league-wide content and we can leverage hockey fights and we can leverage all 16 sites in the nation network you guys are authorities right Mm -hmm. and the difference between chumps like us and guys like you guys like there's a very wide gap right like i'm talking theoretically about doing crossovers left because i never learned that direction right i didn't need it (laughs) in my life you're the zoolander yeah yeah, yeah, no no i never played right and, and that's like the, the 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 armchair blogger, right? Like that's the generation yeah. and the group I'm from. But like having you guys and having your take on things, I just think that for a long time sports has been really underserved and hockey in particular. That we have the same six people telling us all of our news. Yeah, and we've got the same four people in the MSM telling us our local news, and it's so filtered, and you never get to know anybody. And at the nation, like in the coming year, we're going to yeah. do a lot more podcasting and a lot more interviews. Yeah. Like, really excited to learn context, to learn about people as who they are as human beings, right? And like understanding that, like you know, having been to Germany, that's an amazing experience, and having <laughs> been to Russia is a phenomenal experience. And for normal people like me, like that's just like I'm listening and I'm transfixed. Like you're loading your own shit onto the tarmac in Moscow, like. Yeah. Damn, you're Jason Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would like it to be because when I watch uh, players get interviewed, it's just so methodical and green and set answers. And it's just the same crap over and over. And then it, I wish there was more players that had the freedom to just say what they what they felt and and how the game actually was to them without having to watch their P's and Q's. Right. Like so. Hopefully we can provide maybe a little bit of insight over years of playing pro hockey of our experience and and how certain situations feel as a player in that situation in a pro environment, right? And you guys are going to be recording here at Little Brick. (coughs) You betcha. That's crazy. Yeah. If you so, ever wonder if you can have what you want in life, like, pardon me as I pass Joaquin Gage in the goddamn hallway at work while he goes down in the basement to do his yeah. professional hockey podcast, like, you can <laughs> get what you want in life. Just yeah, stick well, with it. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just like my wife kicking me to the basement. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's insane to think it's just kind of us that have been around here since day one. The fact that we're going to be launching a property that's under our banner that involves a guy from TSN and two former NHLers, one of them being a former Oiler, is pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. We haven't gotten any smarter. No, no, no. We haven't changed. It's just we just keep yelling. Yeah. I'm just glad you guys buying all my bullshit saying, thinking I can do this thing. <laughs> <Buy it all. laughs> I'm drinking all the cool. I'm fucking it. We're Oilers we're fans, so we drink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all I need you to do is start every year off saying you guarantee we'll make the playoffs, and we are gold. Oh, my gosh. Well, you offered a beer as soon as I got in here, so it's uh, it's a... Uh, 
easy to get. You're among coming. friends yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's going to be great. Gadra. We're looking forward to it. Sean, thanks for your time today as well. Uh, that was definitely one of my favorite episodes of Nation Real Life. That was a banger. Uh, thanks for tuning in as well. We'll talk to you next Monday. Episode 135 of Nation Real Life is over. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.